Are you ready to learn more about promoting play, defending childhood, empowering caregivers? Save 10% on professional development at explorationsearlylearning.com and support the show with the coupon code OOL. Click the link in the show notes to browse upcoming trainings. Hi, Candice. Hi, Annie. Welcome to another episode of Out of Line. How are you doing tonight? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. It's a Wednesday. It's my flying squad day. I'm always a little bit more tired because I spend the day with my group of 11 to 14 year olds traversing the city. We do a lot of walking and it was kind of a chilly day today. Um, and tonight we're talking about bad kids. bad kids, bad kids, kids are bad. And we're talking about early childhood and what it is. And can we redefine it? Because we have a, a definition in our country, a standard, um, but we don't really use it. So I have a master's degree in early childhood education And I remember getting it and worrying that I wasn't getting a master's degree in education and that some people might think less of my master's degree. Um, But when I did it, it was intentional because I wanted to only work with kids through age eight, which is what early childhood is considered in our country. There are some places in Europe. I know um, colleagues of ours have said that they actually use age 12 or even beyond, um, to define early childhood. That also makes sense to me. I think most people hear early childhood in our country and they think five and under, they think the preschool age, preschool being any kind of school that happens before official government school steps in. Um, but it has an effect on children and young people when they, um, are experiencing life and uh, what like expectations beyond what is developmentally or age appropriate. And then they easily get labeled the bad kid. Yeah. So I think in our conventional school system, it's more of like a academic test taking kind of thing where third grade most eight-year-olds are in third grade and at that point it's the big high stakes test start and so everybody's kind of preparing them in second grade and in first grade and then by third grade they're expected to be a lot more mature than you know really is really that they're able to Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because you've told me about this before. And I know because my kids are in school, my kids go to a public school and I know that they, um, take tests in kindergarten and first grade and second grade, but what changes about it in third grade? So in third grade is um, when the state standardized testing starts. So anything before that, you know, Michigan, we have NWEA testing. And that is a test that kind of helps teachers kind of guide 
to the third grade testing. So like if your child is in the 50th percentile with NWEA, it's likely that they'll be somewhere in that percentile with the um, state standardized testing. So basically every grade before third grade, they're testing and then they're teaching to the test (laughs) so that when they get to third grade, they can pass the test. What does NWEA stand for? Oh, um, Northwest Educational Assessment. Oh yeah. Northwest Evaluation Association. I looked it up out of Portland of all places. Wow. They're so progressive. (laughs) Yeah. So that's Michigan. It's different every place, but third grade is the grade that, you know, the, the big tests start. And so really the age when kids are kind of just coming out of early childhood or just ready to start really digging into learning, they're starting to be tested on everything that they should have learned in kindergarten for second grade. Um, But developmentally, they're not really ready for that yet. So I remember as a kid taking standardized tests, but not every year. And I remember it happening like in whatever, second grade, or maybe it was third grade. And I didn't remember. And at that time it wasn't like one, one test for the whole country. I remember taking, we took the California achievement test, cat test. It was a big deal. It wasn't every year. Um, it's interesting. I've been in early childhood now, like early childhood preschool, so I've stepped away from knowing anything about standardized tests because I try and steer clear of them. And now my oldest is a second grader. My youngest is a kindergartner. Um, and it's, I just, it's really interesting to see how much of our conversations with the teachers revolve around standardized tests. And I know that us being, that's not driven from them. That's driven from the district telling them that they have to talk to us about test scores but I feel like I'm a fairly informed participant and test scores mean nothing to me (laughs) and I don't care. And that's one of those things like, you know, we talk about de-schooling and how much of de-schooling actually and de-schooling or parenting and um, how much of it actually has to do with the parent themselves, not the child. Um, But I think I'm de-schooled and deprogrammed. Like I don't really care what my kids, they don't know they get grades Um, I don't, you know, control their homework, things like that. But then I hear a number and I remember feeling this way, even when they were like infants and the doctor would give you the numbers every time, like, oh, they're in the blah, blah, blah percentile of height and weight. And like, I don't care, but you like hear a number and I'm so programmed to be like, well, can they do better than that? Like, what do you mean? 50th percentile 50 is a failing grade. Like, is that good? Is that bad? Is, are they failing kindergarten? Why are you testing them in kindergarten? but it's like a whole range of emotion that comes up. Um, and so much of the teaching revolves around teaching to these tests that the teachers know, or many teachers don't agree with, I should say the practice of testing. Um, and I know, like, I know one of my favorite kindergarten teachers, who's just a phenomenal kindergarten teacher is trying to leave that age grade because, it's sad what's happening in kindergarten and the fact that, um, you know, you can teach common core and you can teach the standards and you can teach even to the test without making it so academically driven. Um, you can have play-based classrooms that still teach the standards. 
but I think in many districts that's been taken away and that that option is, is not on the table for those teachers, or they don't know how to access play-based teaching and teach the standards at the same time. So they're constantly fighting an uphill battle. And for the kids that it doesn't work for, it doesn't work for them. And then they're labeled bad. I mean, right away. And, and oftentimes they arrive to kindergarten with that label, um, especially if they're coming from a, a preschool program that's in the same school or district and, um, or they're getting some kind of handoff report, um, because preschools have also become increasingly academic, um, not the good ones. The good ones are still really play-based and you wouldn't necessarily know who the bad kid is, but pretty much I could spend maybe less than five minutes in almost any educational facility and give you the names of the quote unquote, bad kids just by listening. Like I could sit in the hallway and just, you hear their names over and over and over again. What does that do to them? What does that do to their classmates? What is, what is all of that? When really, if we just held on to the fact that early childhood should all be steeped in play and hands-on experiences and storytelling and, you know, content rich environments that they have access to, but aren't you know, having it shoved down their throats, could they thrive by age eight or nine and then start the more focused, engaged, quote unquote, academic learning? Yeah. I mean, I think also like everything that's really pushed in kindergarten for second grade, if you think about it is specifically the reading and the math, it can all be taught in third grade still. And so what they're teaching, like a lot of the curriculums teach the same thing over and over again, because we know only 20% of the kids are going to get it in kindergarten. Then 20% of the kids are going to get it in first grade because they're not, their brains aren't ready for it, but we're still teaching it. And what is happening to the kids who are either in the middle ground and have a general concept of it, Mm -hmm. or they've learned it. Yeah. Or they're still waiting to learn it. Like there's just such a range. And I think that's happening too, as we see some children who have the privilege of opting out of kindergarten at age five. And, you know, the term red shirting has grown in popularity, red shirting your kindergartners, saving them until they're six to get into kindergarten. Um, You know, for years, I've been answering that question as a preschool teacher and director, like, what should I do with my kid? And at first it was like, okay, I have an August birthday. It's a September cutoff date. And then it started to be like, my child has a March birthday and it's a September cutoff date or, um, you know, all of that. And I think a lot of parents were shocked to hear the research shows that regardless of when the cutoff date is, whoever's closest to it is most likely to be recommended for special education services. or or receive a label like ADD, ADHD. Um, It doesn't matter. There's no magic date of when a kid is ready for kindergarten um, or school. I mean, would redshirting happen less if it was more play-based? Are are parents holding their child, technically holding their child back because they want them to be academically ready? Absolutely. I think that's such a huge piece of it. Like, oh, he's, he's, he or she is not ready to play yet. They're not ready to play yet, or they're not ready to learn yet. They just need more play. Mm -hmm. Um, so then you have, so then you have that range of like, okay, so this kid's entering 
at six with a play rich early childhood. So they might be quicker to learn some academic concepts now, or this kid has had a lot of trauma in their life or a lot of traumatic experiences in their life and a very academically rigorous preschool. So their brain's just been like on overload and they're coming in, not ready to learn. Um, so you just have this range of kids and then with no attention to, uh, the, the, I don't know, the social emotional support that no attention to the class size in a, in a school setting that it's obvious how dangerous that is. And then I think it still carries over to homeschool settings and the people who are, who are trying to replicate school at home. Um, I know we've experienced it. We've consulted with families. We've worked with families who still like label their own kid as the bad kid or the ineffective learner or whatever, because they don't want to sit at a desk and have mom or dad or somebody else in the family teach them. Yeah. I think it's um, like, once you realize what, you know, once a lot of people start homeschooling and they think, okay, I'm going to get this curriculum and then I'm going to teach the curriculum every day. And I think once you realize like what is trying to be sold to you is basically getting your kid ready for a test. So now your kid doesn't need to take any more tests because they're homeschooled and nobody's measuring them and nobody's comparing. So there's, there is some, some measurement still right in most States. There's something you have to prove that your child is learning every year in some way in many, many States. Yeah. Yeah. Just depends on the law. And if you've, if you've bought a canned curriculum, you're being told by somebody they should know this by this age. Yeah. So it's the same as school. So you're thinking to yourself, instead of having the teacher tell you, my kid's a bad learner. And it's funny because it's at the same time in that age of early childhood when kids, um, are trying to explore the concepts of good and bad, right? Good guys, bad guys, playing good guys, bad guys is such a huge piece of early childhood and learning about power struggles and learning what it feels like to have power and learning what it feels like to not have the power in a situation. So I think they really glom onto that. And even if it's not said by an adult in the space that that person's bad, the kids label each other bad because that's what they're that's where their head is in a bl- very black and white way, like bad and good. Yeah. They see the behavior. They see the way adults react to certain kids. Yeah. Yeah. My own five-year-old recently said to me, um, you know, he's experienced life in like a unschooling learning and learning center type of environment. That's not at all a school. And then also now he's experienced life in school and he said, no matter what kind of school it is, mom, there's one thing that they all have in common. And I was like, well, what's that? He's like, bad kids. There are bad <laughs> kids everywhere. <laughs> oh no. Like, can we have learning environments where you could sit and listen for five minutes 
and then you don't hear who the bad kid is. Like, <laughs> is that possible? Can we stop saying their names? Can we find more yes spaces? Can we give the allowance to play and explore? And because it's not just the bad kid suffering, the bad kid is suffering. I mean, you know, I'm saying bad kid. I don't think they're bad kids. But the kid who is labeled as bad is suffering, but also their peers are suffering because now they have this whole concept of good and bad and what it takes to be good and what it takes to be bad. Yeah, like don't be like that kid. He's bad or she's bad or, you know. So it just goes back to the comparison thing again. Yeah, and there was a um, study done a few um, years ago, many years ago now, because I'm old. I think everything was a few years ago. And then I'm like, well, no, I probably read that like 10 years ago um, where they talked about, they tried in a, in a kindergarten setting. I believe it was kindergarten to let the kids who seemed ready to learn have more academic time with the teachers, like small groups at a table setting. And then the kids who didn't seem like they were interested in learning yet about letters and numbers just have playtime. And they, um, asked them three questions at the end of the year. And I think this is just from memory that I'm going off of, but the questions were something like, do you like school? Do you like your teacher? Does your teacher like you? And the kids who had just the playtime almost across the board answered, no, my teacher doesn't like me because they saw the teacher not engaging with them as the teacher not liking them. And they also said they didn't like school and that held true throughout elementary school. They tested those or they asked the same questions, um, you know, like in third grade and fifth grade and eighth grade. And so these children who were in this very early childhood setting said, okay, cause the teacher's not going to spend time with me engaging. I'm a bad kid and I'm not good at school. And so I'm never going to be basically is what happened. And that's totally making leaps of assumptions because it's probably not what the actual science of the study showed. But. Well, I, I was thinking like, oh, the ones who got to play loved it. <laughs> right. But it also shows you how powerful adult interactions are with children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whether you're homeschooling or in a schoolish environment, like really honoring and seeing each kid for who they are, I think is so important. That's making me reflect because sometimes that's what we do in our centers, you know, with our offerings, like we'll say reading class is starting at this time and only the kids who really want to learn reading and are really ready for reading do participate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I have a a group of older learners and um, I've tried to offer like poetry or writing and, and they'll say, no, I'm not good at that. But then if I put um, like just even word magnets out, like whatever those magnets are called, like poetry magnets, right? Like mm-hmm. they'll string those together and make this like really interesting run on sentence. And I'm like, well, you just wrote a poem. <laughs> That's what poetry <laughs> is. Um, it, but it's just such a mindset shift of like taking the pressure off and uh, relieving them of those labels, whether it's good or bad and and being fair to them, giving them the proper space to grow, learn, develop, put things in their hands before they have to prove that they've learned it. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole different conversation. It's like proving or learning. (laughs) I know we already got into standardized tests unplanned, but proving your learning and standardized tests will be a follow-up conversation. Um, Um, This is just the concept of 
really reflecting on your interactions with the children in your life, whether they're your own children or children that come to you for part of their day and return home, um, thinking about how you can honor them without <laughs> labeling them. I don't know. Is that what this is about? <laughs> yeah. And the early childhood is through age eight, sometimes longer, depending on your child's developmental level. And that's okay. And there's no reason to force academics early on age six, seven, eight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You don't even, if, if you're homeschooling, you don't have to tell them that there's a grade system that exists. Like they don't have to be in first grade while homeschooling. Yeah. <laughs> you can keep that secret folks. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody stay good out there. Thanks for listening to another <laughs> out of line. You can find us on Instagram at living out of line. Listen to us at playvolutionhq.com. Become a patron, get our podcast early or find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye. It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Explorations Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work, and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.